Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. When you have a question for me, go to clark.com slash ask. You want me to answer that question directly, there's a box you can check. And, well, that way may well happen. But we have lots of ways to answer your questions for you if you go to clark.com slash ask. Coming up in just a few minutes, I got to tell you about a ripoff that happened from a major retailer ripping you off. And later, how do you communicate with your place of work? How do you get on a computer system if you have to do a time card? How do you do that? Are they using your eye scan? Are they using your fingerprints? I got some new news for you on that. I want to talk right now about something that I get a lot of questions about, and that's how to shop for travel. And I wanted to tell you about a new travel tool that was developed by a group of students at MIT, I think. I forget which university. I think it was MIT. And there's no business model for them, as best I can tell right now, but they've come up with a travel tool different than anybody has ever thought up. The closest to it is when Kayak has, called kayak.com slash explore. Google has an equivalent where you can have a departure city, and it'll show you just not for a specific date. It'll show you, maybe for a month, but not a specific date. It'll show you the lowest fares they know of around the world. Well, the MIT Brainiac students came up with something that is better than Kayak or Google with all their money have come up with. And listen what they've come up with. It's called Escape, and I'll give you the specialized web address for it. You can put in your departure city, or if you have more than one you could fly out of, you want to try multiple, and then you can put in the exact dates that you know you're going to be on vacation or kids have a break or whatever. And then it will pull up a map of the world and show you the lowest fares that it knows all around the world or all around the U.S. Most people, if they're going to fly, are flying in the United States, maybe Canada, Mexico. Uh, there, There's a smaller pool of people who want to go just wherever in the world the deal is. For many people, it's wherever in the United States or nearby that the deal is you want. You can narrow it that way just by expanding or shrinking the map. And so you can put up like I've got Memorial Day weekend here, which is a popular time to travel. And the search takes a good while. And let me tell you why. They are searching on multiple databases. What are the lowest fares to various places around the world? And it just loads those, and you get to see what is cheap. And then each continent of the world, they tell you the best deal to that continent available. What city, what country has the best deal right now? So for people who just love to travel but only can afford it if it's a deal, this is a great tool from the MIT students. And this is something they will be able absolutely to commercialize. 
the web address is goofy, and we'll, we have it on our travel section at Clark.com if you're driving around and you can't remember this. It is greatescape, greatescape.co. Got to remember the .co, greatescape.co. And I just love the way this thing plays and the way you can narrow it to a specific region, a specific city, a specific country, and see the cheapest prices wherever you want to go. And you just move your cursor around the map and it shows you to each city what the lowest price is right now. And one of the neat tools is you're able to see two airports that are close to each other, like in a congested part of the country, like the Northeast or Florida or California. You can, you can move the cursor around and you'll find that airports that are pretty close together have completely different fares available. And you might not have thought about that as a way for you to save. Matthew is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Matthew. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for taking my call, Clark. Certainly. So you're somebody who's uh, doing or has done credit freeze? Yeah, that's correct. uh, I've been listening to you for a long time and finally decided to quit procrastinating. And one weekend I told my wife I was going to freeze mine and her credit. Uh Uh-oh, that did not sound like the start of a good event. The way you said that. No. Uh-oh. So, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I went on your website, and I followed your guide, which was super easy. I did mine first. Um, went through it real easy. Got to my wife's, and I got through two of the big three. Um, on one of them, I happened to answer a question wrong, and I believe they're security check questions that you do after you fill out all the information. And I got locked out of it. So you're flat out closed out of her credit file because you failed on a challenge question. Correct. All right. This is something that's happening all the time is that with challenge questions, either the credit bureau has incorrect information. And so the very challenge question is wrong or you just didn't know the right answer you selected the wrong thing, they decided that you were a fraudster and locked you out. And that happens in either case. Usually, it's the fault of the credit bureau. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was my fault. I I think just because of how easy it was for me to do mine, I think I skimmed through one of the questions and you read it wrong. You got overconfident. Yeah, yep. So I'm pretty sure I know what I answered wrong, and it was pretty much user error for me. So in order to get the thing going again and unlocked, now your wife is going to have to call and work her way through the endless menus to talk to a human at that credit bureau to prove who she is, say she is, and then proceed with having access to her, her credit file with them again. And then the next step would be then being able to freeze her credit file with them. Okay. Now, so it isn't. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not. It's not. This is not a terminal event. It's just a hassle, and it's just a matter of her taking the time to call in and fight her way through the phone menus. And uh, the other thing is that 
all the people at the credit bureaus are trained to try to trick your wife into doing something vastly inferior known as credit lock instead of credit freeze. Okay. And the reason they are all designed, all the systems are set up to trick you, is the credit bureaus still make most of the money they want to make from your dossier if they do credit lock, which is a system they've designed that allows them to still sell off your personal information over and over again for all other purposes other than credit. Where with a credit freeze, you shut them down cold and they can't make money selling your personal information off to who knows who. Okay. So it reduces the chance of identity theft for all different purposes if you do full credit freeze instead of the inferior lock. Sure. So you didn't do a bad thing. You did something that's very common that people okay. got locked out. Well, I got, I got a quick question with that then. Um, on that one of the big three, when it told me that we were locked out, it requested us to send a bunch of information through the mail to them as a way of unlocking or proving our identity. Right. And if she cannot uh, prove her identity to their satisfaction talking to customer no service, then you do have to do that. And you will have to mail things in snail mail and wait for them to process that and then thaw her, uh, then give her access to her report again, and then she's in a position to freeze. Okay. So it is, it's just all you've done is you've increased the time involved and the hassle factor, but you have not prevented trying to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Good, good. That make you feel better? Makes me feel a lot better. Thank you, Clark. That's great. And have a wonderful day. Meg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Meg. Hi, Clark. It's great to talk to you again. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. Uh, I have uh, some uh, savings accounts that I have for my grandchildren that I set up to put some money in on each of their birthdays. And I would like to, right now I have it in a credit union where I'm earning 0.25% interest on each Yuck. of the accounts. Yuck. And I know. And I would like to make more money on this uh, at a different online bank. I've looked at some of the different banks that are out there that are available and found one with a 2.4% interest rate, which I thought was good. But as I started signing up for that, I realized that there were different fees that I would have to pay to get the money back out of it if I ever needed it. Why would you so, have to pay fees? Is this an FDIC-insured bank? I, as far as I knew, it was. So as I was looking online, it said that it was FDI, um, what you just said, it is insured, and but there were some fees or there was something that I was looking at in the agreement that I just didn't feel comfortable with. So I didn't continue with setting up the account. Um, I, I, I know that when you have an online savings account, you're limited to how many free withdrawals you can do a quarter. Okay. And then after that, there are fees, but that should be it. And um, I'm, I just pulled up, this is web bank you were looking at? Yes, it is. All right. So they're paying, you have to have uh, $1,000 per grandkid. You're very generous to your grandkids. 
<laughs> well, thank you. It's it's a birthday present each year. So wow. And um, do you know? Does this um, particular online bank do they allow accounts for minor children? Well, I want it to be still set up in my name, and they don't know about it. It's just a way of being. Oh, these able are not custodial money. accounts. They're actually no. All right. So if it's actually in your name, you know you're paying the tax each year on the account. Right. Yeah, and if you're mm-hmm. comfortable with that, being with one of the online banks is great. And I can't imagine what other fee there would be besides uh, one for excess withdrawals. Well, I may have been reading it, reading the agreement incorrectly, but when I got to it, I just thought, I am not comfortable with this, so I just stopped the process at that point in time. So, is that safe to do so when I'd already given them information to be able to pull money from my bank, but I did not yet sign the agreement. Yeah, there's is no there... problem. with The way it works is a lot of people choose to do business with an online bank entirely. They do their checking account, savings account, everything, credit cards with an online bank. But most people tend to just put their savings with an online bank. And you link it with your account at the bank or credit union, in your case, the credit union that you're usually with. And so you can move the money back and forth, usually on two days' notice, and that there's no reason you should ever pay for that unless you're doing, as I said, too many transactions. Okay. So what what uh, banks do you feel are the most beneficial where I could put the money for the grandchildren for another 10 to 18 years? Well, there, there is no answer I can give you for a decade or more. It's hard to even give an answer for more than two or three years because okay. economic conditions change so much. Right now, if you're just looking to save the money, it is great to have it in a savings account. But if you're putting money aside for these grandkids for a decade or more, I would much rather see that money invested. Okay, well, I do have accounts for them that are invested. Okay, good. This, so yeah. if you're just putting money in a, in a holding pen trying to earn as much as you can, doing an online bank is the right answer, and it's a good answer as well to grow that money for them. Today's Clark Rageous Moment is a continuation of a story that came up a good while ago. It is something that shocked me and upset me so much as it should you too. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. It involves Office Depot and the allegations that came up before just blew my mind. But this was the allegations that now Office Depot is paying restitution to people of $35 million dollars Office Depot was telling people who brought in their computers for repair that they had malware on their computers when they didn't in order to charge them fees to clean the malware from their computers. So they were telling unsuspecting customers that there was malware that did not exist. Now think about this. This is a fine line with all those calls we get from people who do get scammed by the fake Microsoft thing that Microsoft has nothing to do with, where a pop-up will pop up on your computer saying that Microsoft has found viruses on your computer, they charge you 
to repair your computer. And what they actually do is all kinds of awful things like steal your personal information. In the case of Office Depot, not that dirty. It just went to a simple con of stealing people's money by telling them there was a problem with their computer that they could pay Office Depot to fix when the problem with the computer was a fiction of their imagination and did not actually have a problem at all. Now, this money is being paid, the $35 million in restitution is being paid to the FTC that then if they can track down people who got uh, cheated by Office Depot will be reimbursed from this fund for the con job that was done to them. Shame on you, Office Depot. I'm so glad you've taken time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. So often technology outruns our thought processes, the law, regulations, rules, and one area that is advancing so fast is that something that's become common for us. So I just pulled out my smartphone, and to bring it live, I just press on uh, the back with my fingerprint, recognize my fingerprint, and it opens. Other phones do either the fingerprint or they do facial scan. And with the face scan, they say, hey, we know it's you. You're good. Uh, you know, there may there have been problems with a lot of facial scans where people have been able to fool the facial scanner in a phone with a picture of an individual and the phone will apparently open. But that's a little bit in the news of the weird category. But now... More and more places we go, people are using some form of scan. And one of the companies I do business with, I get into their facility with a scan of my fingerprint. And it's a, it's a circular door that can be used to exit the facility or enter. And in order to enter, it reads my fingerprint and then it turns green if it doesn't read my fingerprint well, it does a beep and flashes red. And if you're not in the system, it's not going to let you in. So this is becoming steadily more common. And when I have been at CES, the Consumer Elect, what used to be called the Consumer Electronics Show, the last two years, there have been a lot of vendors showing systems for corporations, factories, any of a number of circumstances that work on various forms of biometrics. So companies uh, reading your eyes, reading your fingerprints. And I went to a display that was one of a company saying, fingerprints are useless. Our system is all iris. And we're going to show you how good it works. And so they scanned in my eyes. And then I walked forward after I'd walked forward once without my eyes scanned and these alarms started going and it started flashing red and all that. Then I went back, they scanned my eyes, I went through and birds started chirping and flowers were blooming and I walked right through and everything was great. But maybe it's not because according to the Wall Street Journal, a lot of employers are not keeping control of the data they've gathered on people's biometrics. 
and it's leading, as you might imagine, to lawsuits and a case that went to the state Supreme Court in Illinois about what is happening with the scans of people's eyes, fingerprints, all that. And in Illinois, they said you don't even have to prove that you've been harmed by it if the employers have not come up with good privacy rules. And now the state of Florida is considering restrictions on biometrics at a place of work. And this idea of what happens with data after biometrics are taken or any information is stored in a database, where it goes, who has access to it, this is where the missing piece is. And the problem is, and the Congress has happened with, if you saw any of the Facebook hearings, <laughs> oh, there's nothing wrong with the members of the Congress, a lot of them being older. It's just they're clueless about technology and how it works. And these are the people we're depending on upon to come up with reasonable protections for privacy for you and me. And we've got some work to do in this country to see that your and my privacy is properly respected and that we are given control of our personal information. How many more scandals do we have to have before you and I are given the kind of protections of our personal information that's happening overseas right now that we aren't being granted here in the United States? Speaking of going overseas... Roy is with us, and Roy is interested in going to an amusement park, riding roller coasters, also known as driving on the roads in Italy. <laughs> yes. Have you ever driven on the roads in Italy? No. Uh, most people I know are not as stupid as I am and won't drive on the roads in Italy, or <laughs> fearless, or whatever it is that you would say about uh, the fact that uh, I do rent a car in Italy, and I drive, and it's really a form of hand-to-hand combat. <laughs> well, Clark, I grew up driving in New Orleans traffic, so I think I might be able to handle it. I don't know. No chance. No equivalent No, <laughs> no equivalent to Italy. Now, particularly in Italy, uh, the, when you go Rome and South, the driving is chaotic and uh, very reckless, People pass on blind curves, and people drive on the wrong side of the road routinely. A lot of the roads don't even have lines on them anymore because nobody pays attention. Mm. You ready do you for that? you recommend not driving? No, I don't know. I guess I am, but do you recommend not driving then, would you say? Well, no, I just think you got to know the risk. Uh, and so I, I, uh, I'm happy to drive in Italy. Uh, one of my brothers was in Italy at the same time that uh, we met in Italy last year and my wife and I were driving and he was just beside himself because he and his wife were taking trains because they just didn't feel comfortable being on the roads in Italy because it is so goofy there. And that would be another option would be train because uh, my main concern more so than even driving is lodging. Um, we are not interested in showing selfies that we've stayed in beautiful hotels or gone to famous restaurants. We can find the good food. 
on our own would feel like, but we're looking for accommodations that would be not so expensive, but that would be safe. And you will find as you're you're right on the money. In so many places in Europe, the best places you'll find in terms of price point, safety, and being a nice place will be on the edge of a major tourist area rather than in it directly. Uh, You think about uh, Florence, Rome, uh, down the Amalfi Coast, that if if you do drive to an area... You can stay, and and because their cities don't sprawl, you can typically stay three to five kilometers, which is like um, just under, uh, let's say, two to to three miles away from a city, and it's a completely different price point when you do that. So that is an advantage to renting a car. And the way you tend to find the places on the edge of a major metro area in Europe that are going to fit that bill is when you're doing a hotel search, you check the box for free parking. And in Uh, Europe, you're generally only going to have free parking either in a rural area or on the edge of a city. Gotcha. Right. So that's a sign that I'm in the right place then. Right. And so I, I have, that's one of the reasons you pointed out one of the reasons I rent a car is to be able to find more affordable accommodations. Right. Okay. Um, what is what do you recommend in terms of hotels, uh, B&Bs, Airbnbs, anything like that in Italy? So I have a, unless you're going to stay in a place a week or more, I have a bias towards hotels. If you're going to stay okay. a week or more than Airbnb, because with Airbnbs, there tend to be fees involved with the turnover of the property, the cleaning fees, right. often they're called, that substantially add to the price on a short night stay. Okay. No, we would not be in any place more than two nights, for example, I think. So I think hotels are better. One of the okay. best hotel search engines for Europe is Booking.com. Okay. And Great. cross-reference with what you find on TripAdvisor. Okay. And when you look to rent a car in Italy, look at Auto Europe is the source to rent a car. Right. That's great, Clark. That's exactly what I wanted to know. And in any central city in Italy, do not drive in the central city because you'll get a a ticket that will come to you through the car rental company because (laughs) non-locals are not allowed to drive in the core streets of a central city, even a smaller one. You know, that is one of the things I thought of when calling you, and it's because I heard someone on your show saying that he got a ticket like that. And so I thought, hmm, how do I avoid that? But if you park um, away from the central city, do you take a bus into the city or a train or something like that? Well, you can do. It depends on how big a city. Like in uh, the biggest cities, you would take a subway or train. And the smaller ones, often you'll be close enough that if you're really fit, you just walk the distance, or you could take a public bus. It's, it's really easy to do any of those things, especially if you have cell phone service with T-Mobile you'll, or Sprint. You'll be able to use your data plan for free overseas, and you'll be able to pull up Google Maps. You'll be able to pull up public transit, all those things right on your phone, and it 
completely orients you for that trip. Jake joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jake. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Jake. You're a teacher with TIAA. Yes. Yes, I am. I have a 403B with them, and I'm not getting a match just yet. I have to complete another year, but I I currently have a 403B through TIAA. And they're the only company that I green light for teachers in a 403B plan. Yeah, I'd heard you talk about that a lot. And, you know, you were you were talking about all these other 403Bs, how they're really bad in regards to fees and stuff. And then, then you said TIA, TIAA, and then I felt a lot better with that. So do you know what kind of fees they are charging you for the investment choices they're offering? Um, not, not too much exactly. Okay, so that's something you should ask for, is you want to know how to read the fee disclosures. Sure. And, and you want the fees to be on uh, TF403B below 0.6 okay. on the fund choices. Where in a 401k, I would be talking about fees down about uh, 0.25. But for 403Bs, you got to get what you can get. And, and with TIA, you're going to get uh, substantially lower than you are with the other options out there. Okay, that's, that's good to know. Are you a public school teacher? Yeah, I'm a public school teacher for, is for about the, two years now. And is the plan offered through a teacher's union or by the school system or district? The plan is offered through the school district. Okay. And do they offer any other ways for you to save or invest in the future? That's actually what I wanted to talk to you about. There was oh. another company <laughs> that came in to okay. my school. They, they had a talk and they said, you know, there's another plan that you could get involved with. They called it a 457B. And I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, if that's something I should get involved with, considering I have this 403B and then I'm also in the pension service um, that, that we have in, in my state. So that's considered to be a non-qualified plan when it's a 457. If you want to save more money, there's no match on that 457, right? No. If there's no match, I would want any additional savings you do to be in a Roth IRA. Okay. In a Roth, you're allowed to save up to $6,000 a year, and the money grows tax-free, and it's spent tax-free. Okay. And I have just updated our guide to um, Roth IRAs at Clark.com that walks you through who you should have it with and how to set it up. And that's what I'd like you to really uh, focus on outside of the 403B. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. All right. I hope you love teaching. What grade do you teach? Uh, I teach high school, so 9 through 12. And what subject area? Uh, Social studies from world history all the way to economics. Interesting time to be teaching that in the polarized political environment we're in now. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Michelle joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Michelle. Hello, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Michelle. You have a situation you need my help with. Let's see if I can be of service to you. I do. Uh, My son is in the military, and we live in North Carolina, and he is uh, at the Defense Language Institute in Monterey, California. Wow. Which language is he learning? They have chosen French for him. Really? So he'll do great at French restaurants picking out menu items. <laughs> I think it's a pretty useful language that could be used after a military career for sure. And uh, he will go with us on our vacations. Well, when I was in high school, it was so chauvinistic in that era. Uh, we as boys could only enroll in, in Spanish. The girls could only enroll in French. And mm. if you were really bright, boy or girl, you were enrolled in German because it was a more difficult <laughs> language than Spanish or French. Right. Yeah, he was actually a little surprised that he got French. Um, but, you know, they pick what they need and that's what they need. So there you go. And I think it will be useful in the future. Well, how are you trying to help him and how can I serve you? Well, he has a car uh, that's located in North Carolina and he will be there for quite a while, and we would love to get his car to him, but I do not want to drive it across country, and I'm trying to find an economical way to get it to him. All right, I got, I got two ways for you to navigate that. I want you to okay. look at the website, you, the letter U, ship.com. You ship, S-H-I-P.com. Okay. And you can bid out having the vehicle move from North Carolina to California. And then if you go to ebaymotors.com, they have a Mm -hmm. thorough guide to shipping cars, and they have companies you can put the business out to bid for or with. Okay. And so you'll you'll very quickly get a sense of the cost. Okay. Have you had an experience with this in the past? Yes. I actually shipped a vehicle that I had a natural gas car that's kind of a Mm -hmm. unique kind of car, and somebody bought it from me across the country, and the process was amazingly easy to get that vehicle across the country doing a bid. And um, so try U-Ship, try the eBay Motors process, And you'll find, you'll be able to see ratings and prices that people will bid to move that vehicle to your son. And thank him for his service to our country. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.